do ask a continued interest in the prayers. <clears throat> We've enjoyed the song service that's gone before us, uh, not necessarily because of wonderful sound, um, but because of the hymns that are chosen and the words that follow them. Um, <clears throat> When the brother prayed a while ago, he prayed that the Lord would bless this morning, that we would kind of be turned away a little bit from our earthly cares and turn towards thee. It kind of messes up a little bit of what I had to preach this morning, just slightly. Because I, I, I think from what we want to look at this morning is Many of the cares and troubles in our life sometimes are put there to force us to turn from the cares of this life. I'll explain that a little bit more as we go along. Uh, but I've turned to Psalm 55 this morning. Psalm 55 is uh, written by King David. It is a psalm of of strife. It is a psalm of contention. It's a psalm of trouble. But there's one particular verse uh, that kind of cries out to us in the midst of this, in the midst of David's afflictions, in the midst of David's problems and his troubles and the burdens that he is experiencing in life. Verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord. And he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. The Bible reminds us in several places that we have things that we own or things that we possess. And those things we're to do with. We're to do something with them. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1, he says, Cast thy bread upon the waters and it shall return unto thee after many days. This is an encouragement that Solomon has given for those of us that have uh, financial means, that we should give unto those who are in need, specifically giving to the church. Uh, give unto the Lord, cast thy bread upon the water, and it shall return unto thee in many days. Uh, the Apostle Peter addressed uh, something in First Peter chapter 5, about verse 6. He says, Humble thyself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt thee in due time. Verse 7 says, casting all thy care upon him, for he careth for thee. I think what's interesting about uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, 6, and 7 is I think verse 6 ends with uh, a colon. It doesn't end with a period. A lot of people start verse 7, cast all thy care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. That's not what the verse says. Verse 6 says, humble thyself under the hand of God that he may exalt thee. How are we going to humble ourselves under God? Casting all our care upon him. Uh, one problem that I have, I don't know about y'all, is that I will oftentimes go to the Lord with a problem or with a situation, explain everything that I have, lay it out before the Lord, and get up and leave, and then come right back in and say, wait a minute, I forgot this burden, let me carry it with me. And continue to worry about it the rest of the day. I don't know if y'all have that problem or not, but I have that as well. So uh, what Peter is reminding us is uh, one way to 
see the humility of a person is whether or not the person is trying to solve his problems himself or whether he's casting his care upon the Lord. Here in Psalm 55, we're asked to do that again. He says, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Um, <clears throat> when you read through this particular chapter, uh, there is a uh, pronoun he that appears frequently. That David is addressing a he that's troubling him. Now, if you know anything about the life of David, uh, David was a man who was faced with affliction and burdens and trials all of his days. Uh, he was, at times, his own worst enemy. I realize that the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. Uh, I would remind you that the scripture that refers to uh, David being a man after God's own heart has reference to when uh, Samuel came to anoint him at an early age. There are times in our lives where we do feel closer to God than at others. There are times when life is simple. We have a tendency to focus more on the things of God because we have opportunity to focus more on the things of God. Um, one of the reasons why it's most important to study and memorize the Bible when you're young is because your brain is young and it's empty. And there's a lot of room to be filled up with good things. Your life is also simple when you're younger. There ain't a whole lot going on in the life of 12 and 13 and 14-year-old children. I, I, I hear some, sometimes I'll hear children comment, oh, that they're in a relationship at school, but it's complicated. You're 13. How complicated can it be? The phrase, it's complicated, is just something that they have heard and they value it and they apply it to themselves to make themselves sound important. It, it really ain't that complicated. Life at 12 is not that complicated. Now, can it be difficult? Yes. Even children have uh, difficult, anxious times like grown-ups, adults do. But I would have to say that the older I've gotten and the more things that I've gotten involved in as far as being married, having children, having a stable job, buying a house, buying cars, feeding people, clothing people, my life has gotten complicated. Your life has gotten complicated. Till the day we die, our life will continue to be complicated, and it is a uh, it is a trying and difficult uh, thing to minimize the complications in your life. Verse verse twenty two: Cast thy burden upon the Lord. The more things you have to do in life the more things require your attention. The more widespread you are, it's easy to forget to cast thy burdens upon the Lord. God is a spirit, and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. He is not someone that we can readily see. He's someone that we have to pay attention to. He's someone we have to stop and think about. Uh, the mail comes every day. It gets your attention. The alarm clock comes every morning. It gets your attention. The boss speaks to you every day. He gets your attention. There are a lot of earthly, worldly, physical things that occur that get your attention. 
They demand your time. Therefore, to cast thy burden upon the Lord and remember that he shall sustain thee is not something that the world is going to remind you of. This is something that has to be done on a personal basis yourself. So, we remind ourselves that burdens and afflictions abide God's people. Burdens that come from outside the world. Burdens that come from the wicked world around us. Irritate us and agitate us. If you look earlier in uh, this chapter, David says in verse 2, Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. Remember what we were told? We were told to cast our cares upon the Lord, cast our burden upon the Lord. What's the world going to cast upon you? He says they're going to cast upon me iniquity. And in wrath, they hate me. The world is not a friend to God. And the world is not a friend to us to lead us on to God. But as you read through all this, notice also in, uh, oh, let's see, verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. David looks out as he is king and he looks out in the city streets and he sees a tumult. He sees a mob. He sees Antifa, whatever you want to call it, running in his day, burning things down in his day. Paul saw that in his day when he was at Ephesus and he cleansed the fortune teller woman of the demon that bothered her. And the men saw that they had lost much gain by uh, this woman being cured of what possessed her. They invoked the city. They, they riled up the city into a great tumult, into a mob. Paul saw that in his day. David saw it in his day. We see it in our day. Human beings just don't change, do they? He says in verse 12, he says, for it was an enemy that reproached me. For it was an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. Um, when, you, when you turn on the news and you see things going on in the world around you, you sit there and you look at it and you say, how terrible, right? As you fold your hands and sip your tea. That's, that's our reaction. We look at it. We see how terrible. It even, you know, aggravates us a little bit to see this mess going on and to consider that our, our political representatives are not doing anything about it. They oftentimes are using it to their own gain. It aggravates you a little bit, doesn't it? But none of us have really taken up arms and gone into the street uh, because the wicked will see that that even gets turned against us. But notice what David said. He said, had it been an enemy, I could have borne it. 
I, I could have carried it. I could have dealt with this. But in this chapter, he's not talking about Goliath coming against him. This chapter doesn't have anything to do with the Philistine army coming against Israel. It doesn't have to do with the Moabites and the Amorites. The enemy that's in this chapter is not in the world. He says, it was verse 13, he says, But it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. Troubles in the world are one thing. Everybody has trouble in the world, right? Stinks to see trouble in the world, doesn't it? What's worse than trouble in the world? Can you think of anything that's worse than trouble in the world? Somebody, I heard it. Trouble in the home, right? That's what David's talking about. Is he talking about King Saul? I don't know, even though I think a lot of things that are laid out in this chapter to be applied to his relationship with Saul, we covered that a couple months ago. Um, is it Absalom? He had a lot of trouble out of Absalom. A lot of conflict out of Absalom. I don't think it's Absalom. I think it's another man. There's another man in, in David's uh, acquaintance near him. And the man's name is Ahithophel. Y'all ever heard of Ahithophel? Y'all ever heard of that man? It's interesting that if you take most kids to Sunday school, they'll, they'll know about Noah and the boat, and they'll know about Samson and the lion, and they'll know about Daniel and the den of lions. But if you ask anybody about Ahithophel, not too many book reports being written about this dude, is there? Uh, keep your finger there in uh, Psalm 55 and turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Well, let's see. Well, chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11. Verse 3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this verse and you're going to immediately know what we're talking about because I know that all are good students of the Bible. Second Samuel chapter 11 verse 3. And David sent and inquired... After the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? We know what happens here in chapter 11 in David's life. It's not a pleasant thing. Um, he takes Bathsheba, commits adultery with her, has her husband Uriah the Hittite killed. That's the ultimate story about this, right? All right. Who is this woman? She's the daughter of Eliam, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, turn to 2 Samuel 23. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8, 2 Samuel 23 verse 8 says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. There's a great big long list of mighty men that surrounded David as he was king. Our intent is not to read this long list of people, 
Our intent is to recognize verse 34. I attempt to pronounce these names. Elithothlet. So you think you got a weird name? Imagine if your parents would have named you Elithalet. Uh, there's another kid in the Bible whose name is Peleg. I threatened Janice that we were going to name our first kid Peleg. Uh, there's another kid, there's another dude in the Bible named named Foot. P-H-U-T. I said we're going to name him Peleg Foot. She wasn't too happy about that. So I, you know, it's biblical. Anyways, we got Elithalet, the son of Hasbiah, the son of the Meachthalite. And look at this. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Galilee. Who's, who, who's Ahithophel? Well, if Ahithophel is the father of Eliam, and Eliam is the father of Bathsheba, we got Bathsheba's grandfather here is who this is, right? And Ahithophel is going to be a counselor in David's cabinet. Ahithophel is going to be instrumental in teaching David and leading David as David is king in Israel. Now, when you turn back to Psalm 55, just a couple of chapters prior to this is Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we know, was written because it tells us in the very heading under the psalm that it's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Um, an interesting thing about an interesting thing about when Nathan approached David concerning Bathsheba is that he did not approach him immediately. If you go back and you read what occurred uh, when, when Nathan came to David and told him what was going to happen, it wasn't immediately when the transgression occurred. It was a period of time after the transgression occurred. It was almost near the birth of the child because part of the penalty that Nathan was laying out on David was the death of the child. And David did not have this the, the penalty of this death, you know, 10 months in front of him. He had only a few days in front of him, which is we're very interesting about this, that even when God deals with us harshly and in a judgmental way, it itself is almost done in mercy and grace. We know by Psalm 51 that David felt remorse for what he did with Bathsheba. We know that he felt remorse by taking her when she didn't belong to him, killing her husband, who had nothing to do with this. We can tell by Psalm 51, we can see the remorse, we can see the broken spirit, we can see the contrite heart. This is what you want to see in someone who feels the weight and the burden of their sin in life. You want to see what's laid out in Psalm 51. You don't want, just want to hear somebody say, I'm sorry. You want to see them say, I'm sorry. 
Um, there's a very popular TV show called Seinfeld. I hate this show. I think it's one of the dumbest shows ever on TV. But there are people I know that like it. And they laugh. And I like hearing them laugh. So I tolerate the dumb show. It was a show. Who did I offend in here? I'm not sure. Uh, anybody? Is there anybody that don't know who this is? You know Jerry Seinfeld, the stand-up comedian? Many of you have no idea. Anyways, it's a show really about nothing. There was no premise to this show. And they admit there's nothing to this show. They just... But a lot of the TV shows are based on real-life experiences by the writers or the uh, actors in this. And there's one particular episode called The Soup Nazi. Uh, there was this guy, he was, he was real hard about... He liked his suit. He liked his business. He expected people in line to respect him and act respectful. And if they didn't respect him and they didn't act respectful, he would ban them from the store and tell them, no suit for you. If you've ever heard that, that's where it comes from. No suit for you. One year. Go away. No comeback. It's actually based on a real guy in New York. That's actually based on a real person in New York. And when word got around that it was based on this man, his business exploded. He got really, really popular. And he hated it. He despised the popularity. But the cast decided one day they would go to this man's shop and have soup. Jerry said, I want to go to this man's shop have his soup, and they said, that's not a good idea. Jerry said, I'm going anyways. So they get in there, and Jerry Seinfeld is recognized by the soup Nazi, and it literally was, no soup for you. Don't come back. I hate what you've done to my business. And as record says, Jerry let out this, well, I'm sorry. Just the biggest lackadaisical, I don't care, I'm sorry, you've ever heard in your life. He wasn't really sorry, was he? Jerry didn't care. He went down the street, got soup somewhere else. I say all that to say that's the opposite of what David has done in Psalm 51. David did not come before the Lord and say, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you were paying attention, God. No. He cried out and said in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David did not say to the Lord, Restore unto me my salvation that I lost. You look at, look at the text. David didn't say restore unto me salvation for I've you know, lost salvation today. He said restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. This is not your salvation to start with. So when preachers tell you that you're doing things to lose your salvation, this is not your salvation to start with. Their premise is incorrect to start with. 
It's God's salvation. And what we have here in this life is to experience the joy of God's salvation. And one of the worst things to ever have in our life is to have the joy of God's salvation taken from us. There's not a more draining problem in my life or in yours than to wake up each day and not realize that God is gone. When Samson awoke himself from lying in the lap of Delilah, it says, the Bible says, he shook himself as at other times, but wist not or knew not that the Lord had departed from him. This nation doesn't realize that the Lord has departed from them. You don't get the screwballs in power that we've got when God is in command. Isaiah 3 is very specific about this. Isaiah 3 is very specific that when a nation gets so far off track and so far out of the way that he will give babes to rule over them, which is unskilled people. Children will rule over them and women will be their oppressors. That is the nation we're living in right now. David says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And look at, look at what he says will come from this. Verse 13. He says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. There, there should be, there should be uh, an effect in our life when God restores unto us our joy of his salvation in that we want to teach other people, don't do what I have done in life. But here's a problem that occurs. On the occasion that we see our sins dealt with by God through the Lord Jesus Christ, Our soul may take great rest from our troubles in the finished work of Christ. This is why Paul says, uh, by faith, we have peace with God. Because we see that God has dealt with us through Jesus. However, having our sins dealt with by God, does not guarantee that our neighbor will experience the same relief. And that's where David finds himself in Psalm 55. God has dealt with David. But God has not dealt with Ahithophel. David has tried to deal with his life. But Ahithophel is in the background. And really... Part of Absalom's rebellion against the king and the kingdom is partly David's fault, but it's also partly Ahithophel's fault. Absalom begins to rebel against David and the kingdom because David would not deal with Amnon properly. Amnon and Absalom were half-brothers. Had the same, da same daddy, which was David, but they both had different mothers. Absalom 
had a sister named Tamar. And Amnon raped Tamar early in 2 Samuel. And David wouldn't deal with it properly. So Absalom said, I'll deal with it then. And of course we know when the king doesn't deal with things and the subjects start dealing with things, we deal with things a whole lot differently than the way God does, right? And it just became a murderous mess in the house of David. Ahithophel here. David is partly to blame because he would not deal with Amnon. We agree with that. But Ahithophel, who's Bathsheba's grandfather, he's got an axe to grind. Absalom has an axe to grind. And they get together and David is the tree they're chopping down. Interesting, interesting thing about Ahithophel as he, as he tries to continually push Absalom against the kingdom is at the end of the revolt, uh, Absalom decides he's not going to go with the uh, counsel that Ahithophel gives. He's going to go with the counsel by the name of Hushai, H-U-S-S-A-I. He's going to go with the counsel of Hushai and, and do what Hushai tells him to do. And it's, and it's exposed to David and it's exposed to the kingdom that Ahithophel is kind of behind this revolt too. So in 2 Samuel, Ahithophel goes home. The Bible says specifically that he puts his house in order and hangs himself. So <clears throat> you ladies who are trying to constantly get your house in order, don't do that. It'll never be put in order. But what does Absalom do in his attempt to revolt? The revolt is found out. He goes and hangs himself. This sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? That there was an individual in the New Testament that there was a revolt against him by an old familiar friend who dipped in bread with him. Judas was the man that rebelled against the house of Christ. And when this was found out, what happened? He went out and hanged himself. Very interesting that this uh, connection is made. Um, but we want to point out and we want to notice that what David is crying out here is, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit that is speaking to David at this point, saying in the midst of these troubles, in the midst of faults and failures, in the midst of persecution, stand by me. When, I, when you do the best you can and your friends misunderstand, for I know they will, stand by me. He says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, for he shall sustain thee. Uh, if you were to look up the definition of a burden, what, what would you, how would you define a burden in your life? Uh, would you define a burden as that which is grievous, wearisome, or oppressive? Possibly. But let me remind you, in our English day and age of increased ignorance, we oftentimes take uh, the education that we should have and we strangle it down to the least possible thing it could be. 
A burden, in fact, is described as that which is grievous, wearisome, or oppressive. But a burden in its overall definition is just something born or carried. In other words, it can be something that someone dwells on for an extended period of time. Let me show you something else also. Y'all have center column reference Bibles? Any of y'all have uh, Bibles where there, there's a little column in the middle that has reference verses and reference words? Might ought to get one. Because there's a little marker beside this verse, verse 22, where it says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord. There's a little marker in the center column here where the word burden is also defined as the word gift. Any of y'all have that? Y'all see that? How in the world can a burden be a gift? Well, stop and think about this. As we said earlier, many of us have gotten married. Many of us have born children. Many of us have acquired more responsibilities in our life than we had when we were younger. You remember the complaints you had as a child? You remember how difficult life was as a child? Now, don't you wish you could go back and live that difficult life? Don't you just want to stand up and say, nap time, I apologize for despising me so much when I was a child. I'd give anything to have a nap once in a while, right? Don't you wish that you were as fat now as you thought you were then? Yeah, that's right. Don't you just wish you were as old now as you thought you were back then? Um, but there are burdens that have been put upon us in life that actually are a gift to us. You know, I've ridden around, uh, and possibly some of y'all have, have had the opportunity to ride this, especially if you grew up on a farm. If any of you grew up on a farm and did any sort of farming, baling hay or anything like that, You've probably ridden around in some old, beat-up jalopy truck that as you drove out to the field, it about beat you to death. But you get out there to the field, and you load down the truck, and you load down the trailer or the wagon that you're pulling, and the ride is just a lot smoother back home than it was. There's just a lot of vehicles that we have, a lot of big vehicles in life that we have. They just travel a whole lot better when you weigh them down with something. In other words, sometimes people are a lot more patient with other people when other people have troubles when they themselves have gone through the same trouble. Sometimes, but not always. Because have you ever noticed that the term burden is often used in shipping? Because you, they'll weigh a ship and say the amount of cargo that the ship can carry within it is a 100, ton, 100 tons burden. How much burden is being carried inside of you? But also, you know, I've, I've uh, driven enough trucks in my life to realize that uh, I've worked in the trucking industry much. I drove a you know, lawn truck for 15 years. I drive a big old 14-foot box truck now full of furniture. Uh, that truck carries a big burden for us. But we've also noticed that it's important how you carry the burden. You know, if 
you know, you, you see these big rigs that roll up and down our streets out here. I'll bet these 18-wheelers out here are not running on a Volkswagen engine. Is that a good bet? They're not running on some little, some little wound-up hamster out here uh, with a tied-up rubber band. They're, they're running on a great big diesel engine because they've got a lot of weight they've got to pull. And there's a lot of God's people in this world, they're trying to pull their burdens using the wrong equipment. Sometimes you're trying to pull that burden by yourself. And God did not create you to live by yourself in solitude. That's why he tells us in Galatians 6 too, bear ye one another's burdens. When we came out of the Great Depression in the 30s, and nobody had anything. Everybody was the same. Nobody had anything. They were all equal. They were all equally poor. And each man was responsible for sort of kind of moving forward in life. I think that did more harm to us than help, though, by people saying, if you can't do it by yourself, there must be something wrong with you. A lot of times if you try to do it by yourself, there will be something wrong with you. You've got to have the right equipment to carry some of these burdens sometimes. Ultimately, it is the Lord. Secondarily, it can be the family and friends that you know. Have you ever also noticed that uh, when you load these trucks out here, it's also important where you put the burden? So you got this uh, big dually truck out here, great big old long 16-foot trailer, and so we're going to put 10,000 pounds on the tail end of the trailer. What's going to happen with that? There's some physics involved in this. Y'all know what's going to happen when you put all the weight on the tail end of a trailer? You go down the street, and that trailer trailer is going to start fishtailing and doing like this. Uh that's, that's not a good thing. All right, so let's just put it all in the front of the trailer then. We'll put it right up there in the front, right on the tongue. Well, what's going to happen then? Well, your truck's going to lift up like this. You've seen those guys with those lifted trucks? Why is that? Well, like the pants are sagging, you know. Uh, the burden's in the wrong spot. It needs to be right Sometimes in the middle of the trailer, kind of near the axles, and it'll roll just right. But have you ever noticed that people carry their burdens sometimes in the wrong spot? Think about this airplanes. You know that airplanes have to be loaded correctly? If you load it in the front too much in the nose, it won't fly right. It'll, it'll kind of dip and die down. And if you load it in the tail too much, it, it won't get enough it won't fly right there either. You know where it's got to be loaded? They start loading it. It has to be loaded properly under the wings and spread out from there. What I'm trying to say is people that carry their burdens in the nose, in their heads, oftentimes carry their burdens and we're going to solve the burdens with a bunch of rules and regulations like the Pharisees did. Just rule it, just regulate it, blah, 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 and we'll, we'll fix the burden. The other people carry them in their feet. They carry it just by duty. They carry it by, uh, because they have to. Um, they carry it by constraint. Uh, you remember the Bible tells the apostles uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, feed the flock of God which is among you, uh, taking the oversight Willingly and not by constraint. There, in other words, there are a lot of people who do things in life 
simply because I have to do it. I do it because I have to do it. I hate my job, some would say. I love my job. I don't know if my boss is watching or not. Uh, some would say they hate their job, but they do it because the retirement's great or the 401K is great you know, or the pay is great, something like that. They can't stand what they're doing, but they go because also they like the house they live in, they like the food they eat, they like the clothes they wear, and they like the vacations that they can take their children on. We do it by constraint, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. But people who carry their burdens under the wings, carry them right here by the heart, and they don't do them by constraint, and they don't do it by rule. They do it because they want to. I made a lot of money running a lawn care business. And I don't know where it all went. Just kidding. I know where it went. A wife that didn't have to work. And six children who slept well and enjoyed the breakfast most every morning. That's where it went. And I do it all over again. It is a burden I gladly bear. I feel inadequate, Pastor, any church, not just this church, any church. But I do it because I enjoy the people I'm around. Sometimes it is by constraint, just like everything everybody else does. Sometimes it's just rules and regulations, you know, get up here, follow through, we'll go home. Other times it is a great, enormous joy. I didn't want to preach Bobby's funeral Friday. I told Doug this because I didn't feel like I knew him well enough. I thought surely he'd ask somebody in the Southern Baptist Church to, to preach his funeral. But I think the Lord blessed. I think we did something Friday that would have been honoring to Bobby. I think I heard somebody as they left say this was like comedy club or something like that. I don't know if they were being good or bad or indifferent or whatever, but I think we did we wanted to do something that honored Bobby's life. Honor the Lord, honor Bobby. That's what we did. We tried to. What I'm trying to say is it was a burden, but it was a burden that was carried gladly. The six children I have, I would gladly have six more. It's easy for you to say. Uh I'd gladly do it all over again. Also, when you go back and you look at things that have occurred in your life, look at problems that occurred in your life, look at your history, you would want, many of us would say, well, I, I wish I could go back and change things. Well, there's a lot of things in my past life I would like to change. That just means I'd mess up in another area. Um. David said, I believe in the 119th Psalm, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. There's a lot of afflictions and burdens that have occurred in my life, burdens that have occurred in your life, that have caused you to draw nearer to the Lord because of them. That's what we said. We said that very early on. So we'll explain that later. That's what we mean. 
that we mean there are a lot of problems in life, there are a lot of difficulties in life, when handled properly, cause us to draw nearer to the Lord. Uh, there are a lot of desires that we may have, a lot of fleshly desires that I have, you have, everybody in here has. There are a lot of things that, that uh, we wrestle with on a regular basis, trying to find our footing in life. And there are decisions that I would have made. I know that there are decisions that you probably would have made that would be far different if you didn't know who God was. If God was not in your life, you would have made decisions that are far different than the decisions that you've made now. So the burden that God has put upon you of loving Him, loving His church, worshiping Him, being there on Sunday, has saved you and delivered you from a lot of pitfalls, turmoils, and trials in life that you otherwise would have experienced. That's why he says that the burden can also be a gift. Because it is a good thing have laid upon us the desire to serve Christ, be a member of His church, and attempt to walk in righteousness in this life. Because we all now can sit back and we watch the TV and we look at people out there and we realize what they're doing, they're probably doing this because they don't know God. Church should be a place where people assemble and worship God and then leave and serve their fellow man. But without God, people usually worship themselves and nobody gets served. When we gather here on Sunday morning to worship God, and to learn about Him and learn His Word. We are then to take that as we exit the building and see how we can serve our fellow man. But so often people forget that this is not just what we do on Sunday morning. This is the class that God has given you to operate your job. If you went off to continuing education, be it in the education field or the uh, electronics field or plumbing, wh wherever it is, you go to get recertified for what you're doing. You go in, you take a class, you're supposed to go back to your shop and apply those things that you learned in your continuing education class. We're supposed to apply the things that we have learned every Sunday morning in our lives, specifically at home, on a regular daily basis. This burden is a gift. Cast thy care Thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. Thank you for your kind and patient attention.